0: This is Natasha Pierre, and this is episode four of Solo or Not. Here I come. I'm so glad you have come back to listen to my newest episode. It's been a crazy couple of weeks, actually. I've been traveling; I've been out of the country, Uh, as noted in my last episode. I was in Dubai and for about a week, and then I flew to Egypt. And in Egypt, the internet service was just not up to par at all. Um, It was very difficult to record and uh, I did not give a full synopsis of my Egypt uh, trip, but I definitely will in an upcoming uh, episode because it, it was definitely something else. You know, of course, with most of my travels, you know, some things do go well and some things just don't go well at all. And, um, definitely in the last couple of hours of Egypt, uh, of being in Cairo, actually, I missed my flight and that was a story in and of itself. The driving in Cairo is absolutely insane. And the, I completely underestimated the traffic even at midnight. And so anyways, uh, so it's been, it's been crazy. And so I haven't had a chance to record in the last week. However, I definitely want to continue my uh, my series of basically going over the travels that I've had in the last 15 years and the countries that I wanted to highlight in some of these travels that has had a great impact on me uh, in basically creating the desire to travel the globe and I travel as I mentioned before Um, Not necessarily as a vacation. I travel to really explore uh, what what the world has to offer to really break down the barriers of our misconceptions. I'm forever curious and traveling has literally opened me up to new heights that I never thought was possible. And though I am a self-proclaimed scaredy cat of everything, pretty much, I still do things even though I'm scared and for some reason doing them in another country has afforded me more bravery than I've ever had in the States. And so today I wanted to highlight a country that I went to after uh, my last trip to Beijing, which was really my very first uh, trip outside of Korea when I moved there um, in 2007. So in basically whenever I when people meet me and they realize that I'm a huge travel fanatic, they one question invariably always comes up. And that question is, well, what's your favorite country? And I'm always like, oh my goodness, that kind of question always gives me a lot of pause, just like the country where you're from, or excuse me, the question of where you're from, because that question is never simple. Oh, I'm from this and I grew up there. You know, I've lived in so many places, you know, my family's from Haiti, but I lived in New York, in Boston, and Georgia, in Florida, and I lived abroad. Like how do I, you know, simplify that question? So I always have a long answer and a short answer for that, depending on who asks me or where I am. So the same thing with the favorite country question. I it's hard to say because like I said, I find something that I love in every country and each experience is extremely unique on its own. Um, however, through my travels over the years, I have, you know, Basically, come up with an idea of what is a continent that I absolutely love, just because it fulfills a lot of the criteria for me and travel musts. Uh, for me, you know, cost is very important. My goal in almost all my travels have always been to go as cheaply as possible, to make it as budget friendly as possible, to truly travel on a shoestring. And most of the times that I've traveled, which was a huge, uh, I guess. I guess you could say was a huge reason why I even was sparked to travel in the first place was that I realized it does not have to be as expensive as the Western standards would like you to believe. So when I started traveling in Asia, I realized, wow, it's actually more cost effective than, you know, daily living in the US, um, depending on where you are. So cost is very important for me. Secondly, of course, as a woman traveling, whether I'm traveling alone or with, friends or someone else it's very important safety so safety is something that you know it's almost you can say subjective of course there are objective data on safety in every country however feeling safe is subjective um, someone can feel safe in Miami where somebody else feels completely you know at edge on on, on uneasy and and not safe in a place like miami miami is a major city there's all kinds of crime but then also there are some places that people feel very safe because it's people grew up in in miami new york all of those places in the world or even a small town and so subject feeling safe is somewhat subjective and so when i say safety objective and subjectively Um, cost of living as we talked about and then of course culture um, culture is very important. So for me, I enamored with cultures that are very different than my own because I'm, like I said, I'm always wanting to learn. I'm forever curious about things that I'm not accustomed to that I didn't grow up with because I do believe that, um, uh, culture, uh, opening up yourself to different cultures around the world allows, um, barriers to break, be broken down reduces prejudice and one-way thinking about things. And I've learned a lot that things that you read about in, in you know, in articles or uh, or videos or movies or whatever, it's usually very much one-sided. And when you talk to the people there on the ground, you, you get a very different story. So I'm huge on culture. I've never been a huge fan of history in school, but I realized that I'm a huge fan of living history. So I'm a huge nerd when it comes to tours and you know, learning about the facts and, you know, the numbers when I just didn't care because it didn't make sense to me when it's not attached to someone. But when I see how it affects the people that living there and the, and the history, I love it. So the culture is very important to me when I consider my favorite um, country or continent. And of course, food. Food is huge when you travel. Um, you know, it's, I, I've traveled to places where the food was subpar and it, it didn't take away from the experience. But When you travel to a place where every meal you take, it's like, OMG, like, please, I can't. Not only that, the food is so good, and then it costs very cheap. Oh my gosh, I'm in heaven. So when people ask me, so Natasha, what is your favorite country? Again, it's very hard for me to say just one because I love something I've, in every country that I've traveled in, but if you had to twist my arm, my favorite continent is Asia because it fulfills all these criteria. And my favorite country within Asia, uh, definitely was and is Thailand. Now that is now superseded by another country that I went to years after, but at that moment it definitely was Thailand. And this is why I want to talk about this country. So I traveled with, um, another travel partner and we'll call her KB And she is a fellow teacher. She was a fellow teacher with me in a different school, same company though. And as it turns out, we had a lot of similarities. First of all, uh, she, you know, we had, we shared the same religion. We work for the same company and we actually are from the same city um, in Florida. And we actually knew some of the same people. We didn't go to the same churches, but I visited her church very frequently. And therefore we knew some of the same people. So it was really a small world and we definitely, were compatible with each other friend wise, and we realized that we both loved adventure. We were both very curious about traveling as well, and she was pretty much down for whatever. And so we decided we'll go to Thailand together because we heard so many good things about it. We cannot wait to go. So and she's also very beautiful, and she's even more. She's a lot more confident than I ever was, and gregarious. And so she definitely um was a good companion, um to navigate the world with. And we went to Thailand. As the first country we traveled to together, at least outside of Korea, we ended up traveling to several other countries together, which we'll discuss in the future. Anyways, so the goal of our trip, of course, was not just to have as much fun as possible, but to do it as cheaply as possible. Our income or salary as a teacher in Korea was pretty good by Western standards Um, But of course, you know, we weren't rolling in the dough and we wanted to make sure that we budgeted things as much as possible So we didn't make any travel plans. We didn't hire a travel planner or anything like that We literally just bought our tickets, you know, we went for the cheapest ticket possible and We decided we'll just let the wind take us where it may when we arrive so our we you know, we heard from teachers basically not to spend too much time in Bangkok Um, It's super, um, you know, erratic. It's just it's very busy. Just go straight to the islands, and so that's that's what we did. But we couldn't go the same day. We arrived later that night, so we got an early early morning flight out of Bangkok, um, for for the islands the next day. But basically, when we arrived, we had to stay in Bangkok for at least several hours. Um, And so we landed in Bangkok, and we went to the very first place that we knew we could not miss. And that was Cowson Road. And if anyone has seen the movie, um, The Beach with Leonardo DiCaprio, it was, it, it's a, and, and as soon as the movie starts, it's this extremely busy, you know, very, very, you know, sensory overload street. Lots of people walking in the street, street vendors, entertainers, can scantily clad women. They're enticing the locals, lots of tuk-tuks parked, trying to get people to ride, um, you know women were, were inviting us to these bananas banana show and ping-pong show it was absolutely crazy if you don't know what banana show is or ping-pong show is just Google it because it's too unkosher to describe it here but we we declined but we were enticed every block pretty much it was just too much the sights the smells the lights the people you know tourists and locals it was a lot but we started to kind of see this common pattern. We saw these beautiful women dressed in, like I said, in in very, you know, scantily clad outfits. And uh, they were, you know, enticing us to do this, to go to a banana show, to get a massage, to do this. But some of them looked a little bit like, I'm like, this is, I mean, this is a little bit odd. We did hear about it a little bit, but we didn't realize it would be so ubiquitous. And we realized like some of these women had angled, chiseled jaws this one had a an Adam's apple, and that one the voice was a little deeper than I assumed or thought a woman's voice would be especially in Thailand. so as it turns out they were lady boys, so anyone who has heard of Thailand or been to Thailand knows about lady boys um and they are pretty much you know transgendered or cross dressing males um and they're very, very much accepted into the Thai culture now. Um, in the past they weren't, but now, um, the transgender gay, lesbian scene in Thailand has been given more rights and freedoms. Um, and you know, they're a lot more, they feel a lot more safe there than they did in the past. Um, so for me, it was very difficult for me and KB it was very difficult for us to determine or, you know, you know, discover who was a lady boy because, They looked so well. They looked so good. They dressed, I mean, their bodies, everything. It wasn't, you know, it was, they didn't even have to do so much. They didn't have to take so many hormones to become women. I mean, they, they looked the part, they acted the part, they, amazing. We actually created a little game between us to, you know, to say, to decide which one is a lady boy or not. Some of them were a little bit easier to decipher, but some of them were very difficult, And uh, anyways, we definitely saw them with some Western businessmen, quote unquote, businessmen. And I wondered if they also knew whether they were (laughs) ladyboys. Maybe they were tricked like we were. Anyways, um, you know, as the night was getting later and later, we started wandering into a little bit more seedy part of town. Um, There was garbage strewn about everywhere, shady characters lurking in the dark, There were prostitutes of all shapes and sizes. And what threw me for a major loop were prostitutes of all ages, including underage prostitutes, child prostitutes. I saw one. I was like, oh my goodness, what is happening right now? Um, Funny enough, I actually saw a documentary maybe a couple years before um, about, um, you know, underage prostitutes in Thailand um, and how that's a huge problem right now or at the time. And so it was, you know, I was not even thinking that I would ever end up in Asia, much less be in the street where some of, the, some of them were. Um, And so that was one thing that I, that really just kind of gave me ugh, like an icky feeling. And it was really, really sad to see, especially when I saw them walking away with, you know, middle-aged Western, again, quote unquote businessman. I literally gagged. Um, so the mistake that we made was because our flight was like four or five in the morning the next day. We again trying to keep our trip as budget friendly as possible because we arrived, you know, at night and our trip was so early the next day. We didn't book a hotel. We thought, oh, we'll just kind of roam around, and walk around the streets in Bangkok. <laughs> and so what, the, what what we assumed was a good idea just to save you a few bucks turned out to be a terrible idea um, because first of all, we were getting tired, you know, we flew that day, we're exhausted. And second of all, you know, the scene after midnight in Bangkok was getting more sketchy by the minute. And third of all, you know, we just didn't feel safe anymore. And so we were dragging our luggage from hostel to hostel, just kind of trying to look for places to stay at least even for a few hours nap before we had our flight. But nothing was open, nothing was available. So we kind of just walked into a McDonald's and just to lay our heads, rest our heads, take a little breather for a few minutes. As it turned out, we slept there the entire night, like four or five hours we slept. And uh, thank God we woke up just in time for us to get to the airport to make our flight to paradise, enter Krabi. So Krabi is like an island province um, that's in Southern Thailand, of course, And it contains about 150 islands, most of them like completely uninhabited. And the waters are freaking amazing, like completely clear, super turquoise, limestone cliffs just jutting out of the water, towering the coastline, white sandy beaches, caves, waterfalls, and all kinds of activities you can think of in Krabi. Um, And so, you know, it was funny how the intense, Uh, difference between Bangkok and the beautiful islands um, in Thailand, it was just a complete 180. So we were extremely happy to be there. Beautiful sunshine um, and we chose Krabi over the more populated and touristic Phuket because, you know, we heard so much about Phuket being overrun by tourists. It was very busy and crowded and we didn't really want that. Um, And also Koh Samui was also very, very busy. So we wanted more of a i've always whenever i go somewhere um prefer to be in an off beaten path of course there are times you can't avoid touristic areas but i prefer a more calm and rugged experience and so what we planned to do was to basically hop from island to island um and staying in a basically a, a cheapest bungalow as possible every night um and the bungalows were very cheap they ranged from like four dollars each to the you know like very very cheap bungalows and they serve their purpose so in Krabi the first thing that we did after we arrived was track a waterfall and of course you know I'm I guess you can say my personality while traveling is though I try to travel as budget-friendly as possible and I'm a short-term backpacker when I do travel staying in hostels Um, doing the local, local routes, no, not, not doing anything that's touristic as, as I can help it, you know, no comfort. If the locals are doing it, I'm doing it. But the one thing I'd be doing it is in a skirt. It's not until the recent years that I've been known to wear pants, um, all the time, but I'm huge, huge fan of skirts and dresses. And so I did buy a beautiful dress like the day before. I don't know when, maybe that morning, I don't know, but it was a beautiful, very comfortable, long dress. And that's what I decided to go waterfall trekking in, in (laughs) flip-flops. So, Katie and I were trekking over rocks and streams and mud puddles. I slipped many times. My my flip-flops broke many times. And, you know, my dress was like in the mud, but it was totally worth it. When we got to the waterfalls, it was so fresh, so refreshing, so cool. It was so amazing. And then... Was the highlight of the to- of the day was basically riding an elephant um, through the jungle. So that's the one thing that I've always wanted to do if I went to Thailand was to ride an elephant. And at the time, we didn't realize it was such a controversial excursion. Um, there's been a lot of camps that's, you know mistreated and abused these elephants, but we did not seem you know we didn't feel that at all. Ours was very humane. Um, there wasn't a, a ton of tourists. I think we were the only ones and. Um They treated them very kindly, and so we didn't see any evidence of um elephants being abused or mistreated in any way um, but in order for us to get used to our elephant, they gave us some bananas that we bought to to feed them and uh my elephant i mean it was just amazing to be that close to the elephant. You've seen them in the zoo and things like that, but I've never been so close to one where they could look into my eyes as if they're piercing my soul, <laughs> so I offered him my little tiny banana. And he seemed like he was smirking at me, you know, I thought he was just going to take a few bites and just, you know, he took the entire banana, one gulp with the peel and everything, including part of my hand, and slurped it into one gulp. I was like, what is going on? It was hilarious. Um, Anyways, he peed like a gallon of urine at the same time. So he was happy. Anyways, we went, we got onto the elephant and our guide uh, I kid you not, his name was Tarzan. And he looked every bit like Tarzan. He was skinny. He was very, very tan. He had long hair. He sported only some shorts. He was very confident. And he stood right up on top of the head of the elephant while KB and I sat on the makeshift love seat that they put on top of the elephant. And it was not natural at all to be 10 feet off the ground on a 10 ton animal swaying back and forth we screamed we you know as the elephant went on rough terrain lakes thick bush swamps rivers swaying its body up and down even stopping several times to poop peep you know fart and eat Um, but it's you know suddenly after a while not suddenly but after a little bit while we started getting used to the uncomfortable swaying on top of an elephant hoping that we won't fall but it was a beautiful view once we got into it. It was gorgeous. You know, we had mountains in the background, foliage in the front. And the background noise of the, uh, our guide speaking rapid fire um, Thai was like, you know, music to our ears. And we, you know, we felt like, wow, this is Thailand. We're in Thailand. It was amazing. So that evening, uh, KB and I took a long tail wooden boat um, to another island for the night. And it was close to sunset, and basically we were going to take this, you know, this long-tail boat from where we were uh, in Krabi to another island called Raleigh Island, and it was about a 20-30 minute boat ride in the middle of the choppy Indian Ocean. And the boat that we were on just had one propeller, one little tiny engine, and one tiny light bulb, and one local steering the boat. And the sun was setting deeper, deeper into the horizon until it was pitch black. And we couldn't even see our hands in front of us. And KB, I'll tell you, she is very scared of water. She doesn't know how to swim. And so I do. But still, I mean, this is the same Indian Ocean that had a major tsunami just a few years before. And so we were holding our breath, sitting very stiffly, just waiting for the island to show up at any time. (laughs) So finally we saw Raleigh Island several hundred meters ahead and we cried for joy. And uh, Riley Island looked beautiful even from that far away distance. It was lightly it was you know beautifully uh, light, light coming from the shores and it was actually considered a resort island. And so we actually decided to splurge on the bungalow this time and we got our luxuriously elaborate bungalow costing a whopping seven US dollars each. I know, <laughs> but it, those, a few extra dollars made a difference. You know, we had much more comfortable beds, a hot, I think, I believe a much hotter shower and shower pressure. It was, it was great for $7 each. It was great. So, you know, we, we toured the island on our own and then we met this guy, we'll call him Lynn, and he was Island security guard. He was pretty handsome. He had good swag and he had more of a masculine vibe than I experienced so far in the Thai Men. So who was pretty attractive? But everywhere we went, there he was. And he kept trying to talk to me. He kept trying to flirt. And he actually spoke okay English, I remembered. Um, so but he was everywhere. I know the island wasn't super big, but everywhere we went, Len was there. So we had dinner, ran around the corner. There's Len. We took a long walk on the beach, we looked around who it was. It was Len. And finally, before the night was over, we had a very, very amazing, relaxing Thai massage. So one word about Thai massages, they are to die for. I'm a huge fan of massages, but at that point, it was only conceptually. I never actually had a professional massage because I couldn't afford a professional massage that cost over $100 in the U.S. And even in Korea, it wasn't cheap. I think I may have had one in Korea. It was a little cheaper than in the U.S., but, you know, I wish I could have one every week, basically, but impossible. And so in Thailand, even that first night in Bangkok, you know, they kept pushing us to do massages and they were about, what, six to eight dollars, U.S. dollars each. And even that was, you know, you could bargain that price because there's, you know, Thai massages are everywhere. So everything is up for a bargain, essentially. But oh my goodness, there is nothing like a Thai massage. I've had dozens and dozens of them since, and still nothing compares to a Thai massage. They're heavenly, they're, they're ubiquitous, they're luxurious, and the masseuse, oh my goodness, they, they're small, they're very tiny women. But they really get the job done. They're strong and powerful. And even when they stand on you, it feels amazing. And you can have different types of massages. There's oil massage. There's milk massage. There's aromatherapy massages. There's a massage for your foot. There are massages for your face. There's acupuncture. There's everything you can think of. It's amazing. So, I mean, and for some of these, again... These western quote unquote businessmen, and their massages with happy endings. I mean, it is Thailand after all. So, we like I said, our massage that we've had previous to being on Riley Island cost around six to eight dollars. But we decided, hey, we're in a resort island, let's splurge. We're going to splurge in our massage. So, we got an oil massage, and it was a whopping 12 US dollars, <laughs> and the massage was heavenly. It was, we were just steps away from the ocean. We were completely relaxed. So KB and I got a massage at the same time. So it was, you know, Thai, two Thai women doing their magic. And we were such in a peaceful state that I know for a fact, me and KB, both and, both, both of us fell completely asleep. We were in a, like, a trance, like deep sleep. And I know I was snoring for sure. So when I left um, the massage area, basically on the beach, I was walking like, like, (laughs) I basically stumbled out of there. I couldn't even walk because I was just like, what just happened? (laughs) Like, this was the best massage I ever had in my life. And of course, when we emerged from the tent where we got our massage, guess who was waiting for us? Of course, it was Len. Yeah, back to life, back to reality. So the next day after our luxurious sleep in our luxurious uh, bungalow, we booked a tour to Island Hop around different islands and we made a grave error. We thought that our tour would pick us up from where we were in Raleigh Island, but actually the tour started from Krabby where we just left. So (laughs) we hightailed it to the shore and we told a long tail boat driver to, to take us to Krabby pronto as fast as he could the same bulls that we were so scared to be on on the Indian Ocean the night before we were just like take us there as soon as and as fast as possible and he complied he really went for it and when we reached Krabby Island we ran through of course we tipped the driver generously and we we had to go to a tuk-tuk and had the tuk-tuk also run to the speedboat tour area and it was, it was a crazy morning. I mean, we like, how do you, you know, we took a speedboat essentially to Krabby and then a the speed Tuk Tuk to the tour. And we finally made it with literally seconds to spare. They were just about to leave us, but it was amazing. We're so glad we made it. I mean, we were out of breath when we got to the boat and when we finally caught our breath, the beautiful view of the deep emerald ocean peppered by the same towering rock formations and the bluest sky took our breath away again, just as we had caught it. <laughs> it was fantastic. It's, it's really hard to describe in words, just that view of this serene, peaceful paradise that I'm like, how, how is this? Not everyone in the world is here right now. Like this was fantastical. I've never seen ocean so blue. Um, and the sky so blue and and the island so green. It was just amazing. Um, so the the guy did, you know, point out different rock formations, had different shapes. Um, one was giving us the finger. One shaped like a chicken was aptly called Chicken Island. Uh, and we finally made it to Maya Beach. And Maya Beach is another beach that was made popular by the movie The Beach <laughs> with Leonardo DiCaprio. It was on the in the movie. It was like, oh, my goodness, the topography was out of this world. And in real life, it was exactly the same. I just ha- I had chills being on this beach from this movie that I really admired. Um it was fantastical. It was otherworldly. The sand was baby powder white, silky. The ocean was green emerald. There was moss-covered cliffs. Oh my goodness. It it was hard to describe. There were a lot of tourists obviously because you know the beach is popular because of the movie. Um, but we you know we didn't mind, we snorkeled, we took lots of pictures, we went into the island. There were crocodiles, um, there were aggressive monkeys, we played with them, and it was just a, a great afternoon. So later that night we took our final island tour and we went to another island, the final island island of our trip before we fly back. And we I do not remember the name of the island or it did not have a name, I'm not sure. But I do not have the name of this island. But it was a much more rugged island than the resort island we just left. So that island is known for lots of rock climbers and backpackers. And they were set in dreadlocks and tattoos. Uh, it, yeah, it was much, much, much different um, than Raleigh Island. But it was great because that very night they were going to have a full moon costume party with fire shows and howls. And lots and lots of backpackers dressed in all kinds of costumes, including dresses, esoteric costumes, and yes, finally the bungalows there with the cheapest of all, maybe two or three dollars a night. <laughs> but we didn't use it hardly, maybe a couple hours, because the costume film party was insane. The fire show was crazy. It was amazing. My camera almost melted. I got so close to the fire show. Um, there was just a lot of things going on and we couldn't sleep at all. So that was amazing. Um, but thank God we, you know, we enjoyed our time in that, in that party. We were able to go back to our bungalow for maybe a couple hours nap. And then we had to hightail it out of there to our flight back to Bangkok and back to Korea. So Thailand. You know, although it was, I would say hmm, almost 13 years, no, not 13, almost, yeah, 13 years ago, that trip, you know, it's still fresh in my mind because it still rated as one of the, the top countries for me as far as new experiences and really seeing the beauty of the world in, again, the cheapest way possible. Uh, we definitely made it a budget trip. Of course, we've spent some of our money on clothing. And I think I still have I still have that blue dress. I still have that blue dress. And it's shown up in many of my future pictures. Um, because I love that dress. It's super comfortable. <laughs> and so Thailand, the people, the food, oh my goodness, the food and the massages, the experiences, the beauty, it is unparalleled. And so Thailand, yes, if you were to twist my arm, Thailand would be one of my favorite countries, though all of the countries are my favorite countries. And so it really, really, really solidified that I need to be traveling all the time. (laughs) So my challenge to you is, again, I've always said that travel does not have to be expensive. It does not have to be, you know, out of this world on the budget Um, You can travel very cheaply. Of course, you have to find countries that are possible to do so. And I highly recommend Southeast Asia. It is safe. It's cheap. The culture is amazing. The people are friendly. Um, And so, yeah, whenever you can, don't let money be the reason why you don't travel. Um, Be judicious with the money that you save. But just know that it doesn't have to cost thousands and thousands of dollars. You can have an amazing experience. Um, It's like some of the most, you know, unique experiences you'll ever have. Or the ones where you don't spend any money when you travel. So solo or not, just go. So tell me what is your favorite country um, as far as what what is your criteria for when you've traveled, what your favorite country would be. Is it, you know, location? Is it the food? The culture? I would like to know. So leave me a comment and let me know. Thanks again. And please continue to subscribe and follow me. And next week I'll be talking about another country that I went with my new favorite travel partner and that is KB and uh yeah we had more misadventures and adventures in the next country in a different continent this time so definitely uh please wait for my new episode next week where I'll be back on my regular schedule now that I'm back in the U.S. and I have great wi-fi thanks again for listening and have a wonderful wonderful day